share this uh, with you. Uh, I've got uh, promises to be an interesting week uh, for me. Um, I have a, a predominantly LDS practice, I think would be a, I have one non-member. <laughs> uh, as it turns out with this, this wonderful lady, uh, actually with Rose from, from Wendy, um, she her she came in because her husband's dying of cancer, and and they are not church people. Uh, they're not they don't they don't have family here per se. They just kind of been just the two of them really kind of facing everything uh, that they've been going through. Well, he passed away this last week, and so now the problem. And he was starting to talk about maybe going back to church as. He could see that he just had a very few weeks left and started to feel those stirrings about what am I going to do and how are we going to handle this and what might a funeral look like and all that. Uh, so he passes away uh, and she called me up uh, this, this weekend and she said, it's an ethical dilemma. You know, my husband was kind of reaching out to his old church roots, but it was his parents' church, and he hasn't been there forever, and there's just no connection there. They don't know who he is. Uh, would you be offended if maybe you conducted it? And I said, I would love that. I would be honored to do that. Uh, but it's still that sense that says, we're, we're disconnected from that, but we have inside us this yearning for something. They don't always know what that is, even when they're disconnected from that. Uh, so even though she knows that I'm LDS and she knows that, that Wendy's LDS, she still, you know, she really not want to be, not a morbid thing, but you guys seem to have a sense about you that is calming and, and all of that kind of thing. So um, I just think you, you just never know the impact that's out there. In fact, I saw a statistic over the weekend that says, Usually before somebody inquires about the church, they've had, uh, I think it's 11 touches or 13 touches, something like that, with the church before they finally then have enough questions or circumstance to want to. <coughs> yeah, it's coming. It's going to be a... But if you haven't read, had a chance to read the, uh, this article by this Episcopal priest uh, going through the, the, uh, the temple, you need to do that. If she talked about... I, I didn't, Think I would have a God moment? She says I had a God moment uh, in the temple, and interestingly enough, surprise, surprise, it occurs where <laughs> in the celestial world. Yeah. So, all right. Anything else from the weekend? Good stuff, guys. All right. Um, along those lines. <coughs> Some, some of you have seen this. Stephanie sent this to me. I had to promise not to send it out before I had a chance to use it. Hey, Ms. Barack, I have some good news and bad news. Oh, what's the good news? I've decided it's time we had a Mormon president. 
Terrific. What's the bad news? My baptism's on Saturday. I know, I know. And then I thought I'd throw this in there. Uh, Texas and high gas prices. (sighs) Okay. Enough foolishness? Okay. I wanted to uh, I wanted to follow up on last week's lesson. We were talking about spiritual gifts, uh, and I'll lay this at the feet of uh, Shannon Causey. Shan- this is Shannon's fault here for this, for pointing out something that I thought we needed to be able to add in, in light of our discussion about uh, spiritual gifts. And there's something from uh, Elder Callister in uh, the Infinite Atonement, uh, and he's exactly right. Um, and let, let me just put it this way. When we think about the Savior, let me ask you for a question. Um, when you think about attributes of the Savior, what kind of attributes do you come up with? Gentle, like what? Gentle, loving. Gentle, loving. What else? Compassionate. Forgiving. Powerful. Non-judgmental. He's constant. He's consistent. Okay. Wise. Very wise. He's he very knowing. He can see all these things. Perfect. He's perfect. Is he a healer? Yes. Everything that comes in contact with the Savior heals. Doesn't matter whether it's the Dead Sea or and everything's gonna everything heals underneath him. Okay? All these attributes. Now, I want you to I want you to think about that in conjunction with the fact that what he says is, is that when you are, when you join the church and you're given the gift of the Holy Ghost, remember that Orson Pratt said, everybody that's given the gift of the Holy Ghost also gets a spiritual gift, right? Okay, so so we get we get this, and we get the gifts of the Spirit. So the question is really, technically, what are the gifts of the Spirit? Think about his attributes. What are the gifts of the Spirit? All those same things. All those same things. So when we get, and track this closely, when we get a gift of the Spirit, what are we really getting? Part of Him. Does that make sense? That we are getting, in the gifts of the Spirit, we're going to get part of Him. We're getting His, one of His attributes. One or more. So in that area, we have become like Him because we share with Him. His attributes becomes our spiritual gift. Is that nice? Okay. Now, in my mind, the benefit to that is, now now we're supposed to take that attribute. Is He loving just to be loving? Is He he has the gift of healing just to be healing? What is He using those for? To help to help others. So in other words, he's saying, I, in, this, in this respect, whether it's 
healing or teaching or compassion or charity or organization or whatever it is that your gift is. Take that part of me, I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to take that part of me and bless others, which is what I would do. Is that cool? Now, with that in mind, though, so that means that, to me, there's one advantage of this, one more advantage. Because we talk about the importance of faith, and, and Joseph Smith, we're, as we're getting ready to talk about the dedication of Curtin Temple in the next couple of weeks here. Remember, Joseph trying to get this guys ready and for leadership and to understand the blessings of the temple, and so he institutes the school of the prophets. Teach these guys. Part of what he's trying to teach them is you have to know the Savior. You've got to know, in order to have faith, you have to know that He is. Article, uh, this is the lectures on faith. You've got to know that He is. You have to have a correct knowledge of His attributes and characteristics. You have to know Him. And then the third one is you have to know that your life is on the right path that would be accepted by Him. Okay? Those are the three things to have faith. Number two. Two, you have to come to know his correct attributes and characteristics. How would you do that? From the scriptures. By experiencing what? Yeah. Isn't that cool? That part of how you're going to know him is that you have been given a spiritual gift, which is really part of him, right? In that area of your spiritual gift, do you have like a window to understand Him? You may not understand His other attributes, but if your gift of the Spirit is charity, do you understand that part? Do you understand the charitable part? Let me sharpen a little bit. Moms, do you understand the, the creative process of what it's like to have chip, a Heavenly Father loving His children? Do you understand that through your own birth of your to your kids? That in that area, you almost have a perfect knowledge of what that's like. And to watch them struggle and all of that. Okay? It's the same way with spiritual gifts. We've been given a spiritual gift, which is our conduit to understand Him. That's another thing the spiritual gifts are. They are our knowledge of Him. To teach and prepare. Now, let me add one more layer to that. Think about the parable of the talents. To one was given five, and one three, and one one, right? Okay. To the one that the Savior in the parable is going to give, I'm going to give five talents to you, and if you nurture them and take care of them, what happens? You're going to get more. And those that get three, what, and you nurture them, you get more. What about the one who buries it? That's Taylor. If you've been given spiritual gifts, here's the promise. You're going to understand me. This is my attributes, and they're part of you. And then you nurture them. He says, then in return, I will give you more. And then you nurture them, and they grow, and they give you more. And you nurture them, and they grow, and he gives you more. And ultimately, this is called perfection. Eternally, this is the path to perfection. That piece by piece by piece, we take on His attributes one gift at a time. A piece at a time. And as we're handle this one, He gives us more. Does that make sense? Yeah. Here's a little side thought. Um, my dad had always told me 
created. He said, you know, since women have the capacity to bear children and have that creative process, that this would kind of go along with what you're saying is that we, you know, we have that, that ability to have that Christ-like attribute, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. The men are given the priesthood, and that's their way of being able to... We have to have that. It's the only way that we can even begin to approach as we prepare to do blessings and all those kind of things, to even in some small measure to try and understand what it is that that uh, women get in terms of the, the birthing process and the nurturing and bonding and the loving. Yeah, it, it, to me it's a kind of pale thing. It just doesn't match that, but it's, the, it's, our, it's our best shot at that. Okay, does that make sense? I just thought, so I, I appreciate that. I, I just think that the, part of understanding spiritual gifts is understanding what they really are and what we're really about, and that this is part of that path to becoming perfect, one spiritual gift at a time. Okay? okay. I just kind of thought that, okay, since Christ is our brother, and that we're all children of Heavenly Father, and he was directly from Heavenly Father, he used those spiritual gifts more because they were more predominant in his life. And as we pull from that, we get rid of the natural man tendencies and pull on the spiritual tendencies that we all already had before we came here. Does that make sense? To you? She said, isn't it it's a natural part of the process because based on what it is that I've read, because there's one more thing I need to throw out to you in terms of spiritual gifts. Um, Listen closely. Where did you get these spiritual gifts? Or when did you get these spiritual gifts? Say, say it again. Before we came. That, that as intelligent beings, we grew, we developed, sin, handed, we grew, and then we came. And so we, we, we had all these things kind of intact. And then we come to this earth life, and we get the gift of the Holy Ghost. And part of what the Holy Ghost is, it's always been, did we ever learn gospel knowledge for the first time here? Yeah, we've, all, we've heard it all before. For eons, in eternity, before we ever got here. All the Holy Ghost does is come and open something that you already knew. Even though, even those times when, like, we sit in the temple and go, ah, oh, <laughs> I get it. Uh, and it's so familiar to us. It's like, of course. That's because all it does is open it up and we and the little light shines out from the darkness. <coughs> this is something you knew before. Oh, yeah. And I think the same thing happens with spiritual gifts. Those that are charitable here are charitable because they received and developed and nurtured that gift of charity there. And you just brought it with you and away you go. Cool? And in that aspect, you're going to come to know the same. All right, now, that said, there's one more. Um, we kind of went through this whole thing, and I'm not going to go through all of it from last week, where we just talked about how we go from being deceived. Remember we talked about uh, we were going to be seduced by evil spirits, and that's Yeah, everything you've been told is probably true. You can't, you're not very good. You can't your 
your kids will bother you. And it offsets the, the gifts of the Spirit and all the still small boys, and that's his way of attacking you. And that's why we talked about last week that part of what the gifts of the Spirit does is offset that seductions by evil spirits, doctrines of devils, and commandments of men. All the garbage that you get bombed with. Okay? And we talked about then the solution to that was is that we needed to pray for the best gifts, right? And the best gifts would be the best gift for you to offset the lies and deceptions you believe. Okay? Now, there is, there is one more scripture that I wanted to kind of use to drive that home. If you turn to, uh, somebody turn to section uh, 50. We're going to talk in... Uh, Section 50, and I'm also kind of backtracking this a little bit, because we didn't do 50 at all. <coughs> Section 50, 29 and 30. Who's got it? Okay. And if you are purified and cleansed from all sin, you shall ask whatsoever you will in the name of Jesus, and it shall be done. Okay, now, so, if you're purified and cleansed of sin, how does that happen? Through the Holy Ghost. So, so how are you being cleansed? Why are you... Can you do that? No, you don't possess the ability to purify yourself. All you do is, I'm going to keep the commandments, I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be, and, and the Holy Ghost purifies us and cleanses us. So we're going to talk more about that in a second. And listen closely. But you know this, it shall be given you what you shall ask, and as ye are pointed to the head, the Spirit shall be subject unto you. Okay, now look at that first line. Tell me what it is that you're supposed to pray for. Look at it in the first line. What are you supposed to pray for? What we're directed to pray for. Let that sink in. In other words, as you're, as you're cleansed and as you're purified and as you work with that spiritual gift, he's saying that, yeah, I need you to pray, but I need you to pray for... What I tell you to pray for. And I will direct your prayers to pray for those things that you want. To pray for those things you need. And it will be based on the fact that I know what you need more than you know what you need. If we pray for us, when we pray a natural man prayer, we have a lot of stuff. I need some of it seems pretty appropriate. But he says, no... As you get purified, I will teach you what to pray for, and you'll listen to the Spirit, and you'll hear yourself praying for stuff you didn't plan on praying for. And that's when we're talking about the prayer of gratitude. That's yeah. But also that's because we pray for what we consider practical. But we don't pray for what's supercharged, you know, what God can accomplish. We pray what we believe. Oh, absolutely. Because sometimes what we're going to do in our prayers is like, well, I don't think I should pray for very much. You know, how many of you, and you know who you are, have been asked to speak in church, and, and your prayer is not, you know, open up my heart that I can identify and make this a great experience, and then a, 
You know what your prayer is. Please, Lord, don't let me screw this up. <laughs> let me just remember all the right words. Let me, you know, I, get, get, don't let me waste their time. You know, you, you kind of set the bar so low that, okay, wait a minute, the way I can do that, I have a 10-minute talk, let me spend you, let me spend the first five minutes of my talk telling you what, how it is that I was running from the counselor who was trying to give me the assignment, and how much I hate standing here, and I hate giving talks, and I'm horrible at giving talks, and I can't believe they did this to me, and here's my talk. And the congregation goes, oh, I'm so glad that we get to hear from you, who's going to make sure that you never pick up the phone when the bishop calls again, because you hate giving talks. Oh, I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have my coffee first. <laughs> so anyway, all I want to do with spiritual gifts before we actually move on, and it's actually a nice dovetail into what we're going to be talking about today. If we get, because all of these sections are still dealing with the same problem. They are trying desperately in Kirtland to swim upstream against misunderstandings about what the Spirit was, how it worked. Uh, as they were trying to be in touch with spirituality, uh, they had they had one instance that we're gonna we're not gonna really spend a lot of time with, where they were trying to hold a meeting and there was a specific evil spirit that kept popping from brother to brother and it went on for about six hours. You know, they cast him out of one, he go into another, cast him out of this guy, go to another guy. You know, one guy, 250 pounds, does a flip in the air, lands on the floor, they get him out of him. Then they give it to another guy, he turns all black and oval eyed, he's just freaking everybody. I mean, it's just not good. And it went on for hours and hours and hours, and and they're just trying to figure out how to offset it. Well, now the paramedics come. Yeah, they, they, that's right. They say you just call the paramedics. Yeah, they call 911. That's funny. Good point, because what I needed was one more arrow coming back to say, because again, it's our choices that we've made that are, that are our evidence to prove how dumb we are. And then just reinforces it so we're already kind of there. Okay? Alright. So. Let's turn and look to, in, in uh, verse 14 of section 50. Okay, now, this is one of those moments when I'm looking at the scriptures and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I, I, don't, I don't, don't understand the wordage, wordage, word, verbiage. I guess wordage is like words and verbiage. Verbiage? Verbs? <laughs> And you wonder, why did the Lord choose the words that He chooses? Okay, look at verse 14. And what He's going to say, I, I, I want all of these, all these guys, I'm going to teach them, I'm going to prepare them, then He's going to say, 
I want them to preach my gospel by the Spirit, even the Comforter, which was sent forth to teach the truth. Okay, now, let me stop. If I'm going to ask you what role the Comforter, the Holy Ghost is the Comforter, one of His attributes is the Comforter. What would you describe? What's the role of the Comforter? To comfort. In time of sorrow, in time of affliction, and it's going to come in and help make things better. That's what a comforter does. I looked at that and I thought, in conjunction with missionary work, now I want you to go out and preach uh, by the Spirit, even the comforter. Isn't that kind of an odd place for that attribute of the Holy Ghost to be a comforter why we're trying to teach the restoration, uh, plan salvation, uh, call to repentance. Seems like that would by the spirit of truth, or the spirit of uh, enlightenment, or the spirit of testimony. Why comfort her? The story you told when we first came in about the sister that's not a member of the church mm -hmm. that says, I don't know why, but I feel... Comfort. I feel some comfort. Yeah, the, the, this this lady. Ah, okay. And in that case, the, the Holy Ghost was acting as a comfort. Yeah. Um, just last night, we had the missionaries over for dinner. Yeah. My two young boys were asking lots of questions and talking, and then at the end, they um, wanted to give some words to us. And I got all teared up, and I started crying, and I felt really warm. And it was they weren't teaching me anything new, but I absolutely experienced this. This comfort. And it let my soul have rest. I was Sundays are a day of rest, but not the Lord's work. So the reason hasn't been <laughs> Yeah, certain callings is anything but resting. Right, so so for me to feel comfort and peace on the Sabbath, which is funny to say, it's rare. I don't know. I feel I feel very filled, but peace and comfort. Uh, so, okay, and, and you just talking about gospel truths. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I like that one. She, she says if you have people with different points of view, that that comfort could almost be a spirit of reconciliation, of agreement, of coming together. That would be a comfort. Well, I didn't even think of that one. That's good. Well, in conjunction with what she said, could it also be a comfort to the missionaries who get rejected? <laughs> oh, but the, maybe the missionaries need that spirit of comfort. But when they, they travel, I remember some riding like an hour on buses and everything to get to an appointment and you come down the street there and you can see your Book of Mormon hanging in a baggie on the door on the door knob. Okay. That that would be that the, the comfort comforter would be a language that they would understand. I like that. Okay, now, let me add a layer to this, because here's where my brain went with this. It's like, so I did some research on this, and, and if I can get it to cross over into the New Testament, now i got some Greek, if I get into the Bible, I can get Greek or Hebrew back up, so I can see, you get a little closer back to the original sources of what was being taught by these guys. And sure enough, this one shows up also in the New Testament. Okay? 
So I want you to look at John 14, 16. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. You remember he says, I need to go so that the comforter can come. Uh, now, here's the fascinating part about this. So I went back and checked the original Greek root to comfort. You know what it is? Advocate. In a legal sense. The defense attorney standing before the defendant. To plead the case to the judge. Does that sound familiar? Wherefore, Father... Spare these, my brother and sister. As an advocate there. Now think about the role of the Holy Ghost as advocate when and comforter. Does that does that open up some thoughts for you? Well, yeah, and I just thought about this also in the in the fact that sometimes people hear the Okay, is there a point at which we presented the gospel and people have rejected it because the missionaries happen to knock on their door and they're right in the middle of cooking dinner or they've been arguing with their kids and it's like, here are those kids with the white shirts banging on my door, you know, and they go, no, not interested. And the missionaries walk away and go, well, she almost didn't help because she didn't listen to us. <laughs> yeah, so let's dust our, let's dust the, our feet off here. And she was just really, really busy, not in a place. But she did sort of hear it. Or what about the people that hear the gospel that get dumped on by anti-Mormon stuff over here, or they were to a certain point, and then they Googled, they went to the Google and thumb them, <laughs> and looked at it and saw this other stuff and it scared them off, and so they left and... and yeah, on our side, we can say, well, you had your chance. You blew it. And yet the comforter then comes in as a advocate and says, Father, they didn't have an adequate chance. I like that part. Okay? Now, uh, let, let me, can I give you one more where I think that this really becomes important? Where the comforter as an advocate would be critical to somebody first joining the church. Because we always talk about the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are first, faith, and then right behind that comes repentance. They are, as they're coming in, the reason that the purpose of baptism is to, first of all, provide a witness, that's the water, this is a, an outward thing, but then there has to be a cleansing, and that's done by the Holy Ghost, the baptism of fire, meaning that they are sinful, they've carried sins, and they need to be, they need to repent, right? What better place to have the Holy Ghost as an advocate at that moment to say, Heavenly Father, they've come. They have they've They've done these things in their life, and now comes the advocate. And isn't it interesting? It's the same role as the Savior. 
Wherefore, Father, spare these, my brethren, that have repented and gone down into the waters of baptism, now fill them with the baptism of fire and cleansing. Isn't that great? The more I thought about it, the more I thought the comforter is the exact attribute, godly attribute that should be at play when we are teaching the gospel to somebody else. Because if nothing else, how many people do you know that maybe showed up at church and it's like, well, because we're supposed to say to non-members, come and see. If you're not sure what Mormons believe, come and see. Come to our meetings. Come, just come and see. Just check us out. And they walk in, and you know, and, and their son has like nose rings and tattoos, and your son is preaching a sermon at the pulpit. And what are they thinking? There ain't no way. And they've got all these problems, and here you're showing up, and you've actually sometimes you make bread. <laughs> or you do nice things, or you seem to be so nice, and they're thinking, there's no way. I, I can never meet that standard. I will never be the moves. Cannot be the moves. <laughs> I mean, enough people in the war don't <laughs> But I'm talking about the people on the outside coming in going, will never be the, the Moons or the Davises or the Frosts. Or we just can't do that stuff. And what a beautiful spirit to, to have a comforter come in and say, it's okay. You don't have to be there all at once. You'll make it. So to speak, to preach by the spirit of the comforter, I just think it's magnificent. The more I think about it. Kind of along those same lines if you take it a step further. Um, you know, the outside world is confusing in all aspects. Where do we go when we die? I just lost somebody. Uh, why is there so much contention and wars in the world? So the people coming in, they can have that comfort, that peace. There's a reason for this. There's a plan. It is a very, the gospel is a very comforting doctrine if you'll hear it for what it is. And if, if we're able to do that as opposed to saying... Okay, uh, let me tell you what Mormons believe, and it's about there was a, an apostasy and then a restoration and, and gold plates and Angel Moroni and uh, Camorra and Lamanites and, and PPIs <laughs> and state, state houses and, and branch presidents and there's not a lot of comfort there, is there? There's more confusion than comfort. But to come in and say, there is a plan. The Lord loves you. He loves us. He established His church. Men changed it. And now out of His great love, He brought that. And here it is. Yeah, what do you guys do in temples? What a magnificent act of charity this is. To say those that didn't get a chance to receive this important ordinance are going to get a chance. Um... I remember uh, standing in the, the baptismal font uh, last week with, uh, with a youth baptism. And it's like, we get done, we're supposed to do ten names. And they said, okay, we've got another five names to go. And I turned to the kid and I said, you want to say five more? Yeah, let's say five more. Cool. Let's go get them. <laughs> what, a great, what a great principle that is. Okay? 
All right. So, now, just to give you a quick little background on, on section 50, and then we're going to go into kind of 52 and 56. You've heard parts of this before, but I want you to hear it in part of Pratt's words. Part of what's, what uh, spawned all of these sections, particularly section 50. Harley Pratt. He says, feeling our weakness and inexperience, weakness and inexperience about what? The spirit and all of these things that are going on and what's okay and what's not okay. Again, this is 1831. Everybody in the church is a convert of a year or less. <laughs> and now you're going to bring them together. You know, I did what a cacophony of Okay. Feeling our weakness and inexperience unless we should err in judgment concerning these spiritual phenomenon. Myself, John Murdoch, and several other elders went to Joseph Smith and asked him to inquire of the Lord concerning these spirits or manifestation. I, I love the comment of Hiram Smith in the meeting where they laid hands on, on one man and he did turn just completely dark and black and it's, it's, his eyes were oval. And he was just uh, doing guttural sounds and walking around and an angry kind of thing. And I love Hiram's comment. He turns to Joseph and he goes, this is not of God. <laughs> you got that, that spirit of discernment? Probably not. <laughs> After we had joined in, the, in, in, in prayer in his translating room... Which, by the way, I should have ought to get a picture of that. This is uh, anybody been to Kirtland? Been to uh, John Johnson home upstairs? Seen the translation room up there? The upstairs room in the John Johnson home that was that was designated for this. By the way, John Johnson joined the church first of all because of his wife, Sister Johnson, who had kind of a withered arm that Joseph kind of healed on the spot, and it was one of the ways that. They got involved, okay? Okay, after we joined in prayer in the translating room, we dictated in our, he dictated in our presence the following revelation, section 50. Each sentence was uttered slowly and very distinctly with a pause between each, sufficiently long for it to be recorded by an ordinary writer in longhand. So as you read through section 50, think about it coming very slowly, a line at a time. This was the manner in which all his written revelations were dictated and written. And this is the part that I just find amazing. There was never any hesitation, reviewing, or reading back in order to keep the run of the subject. Neither did any of these communications undergo revisions, interlinings, or corrections. And in fact, when you look at the original documents as done by uh, in the Joseph Smith Papers, you can see that it is. It's just written out and the way it goes. And occasionally he would go back and change the spelling or something like that. or Actually replace it with a word that was a little bit better before it went off to publication. But, uh, re but revisions, underlining corrections, no. As he dictated them, so they stood. 
As far as I have witnessed and was present to witness the dictation of several communications of several pages each. And that's remarkable because we're if I forget to bring it up, wait till we get to section 76 of all of the, of the kingdoms of glory and how long that thing was and there were like 10 people in the room to watch that one. Okay, so that, that's how we got this one. Okay, now, here's what we're about. Let's look over in section 50, verses 5 through 7. Let me let me just back up here. Hearken, O ye elders of my church, give ear to the voice of the living God, attend to the words of wisdom. Uh, verse two: There are many evil, many spirits that are false spirits which have gone forth on the earth, deceiving the world. And Satan has sought to deceive you that he might overthrow you. We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, behold, I have looked upon you. And have seen abominations in my church that profess my name. I'm not really happy with everything that I'm seeing here. Okay. But blessed are they who are faithful and endure, whether in life or death, for they shall inherit eternal life. Uh, But woe unto them who are deceivers and hypocrites. Now I put in here the uh, what is where the word hypocrite comes from in Greek, and it is a play act that is carrying out an acting role. They're not really that. They're not really a doctor. They just play one on TV. Okay? Yeah? Yes, that's right. I'm going to look like I'm interested, but I'm really here to tell you what you need to hear. Yeah, there is a there is that sense, and that's part of what he's saying. When we talk about hypocrites, we're talking about people who know that there's something else, and they're going to portray themselves as something that they're not. Okay? Verily, verily, I say unto you, there are hypocrites among you who have deceived some... Listen closely, because there's some comforting doctrine here. There are hypocrites among you who have deceived some which have given the adversary power, but behold, such shall be reclaimed. I want you to think for a second of those that you know that have been deceived. Do you have kids that have been deceived? Do you have friends that have been deceived? Do you have friends that have been introduced to the church 
that have been deceived. Do you have a spouse that's been deceived? And again, we were talking last week. Remember the three places those are going to come. Seduction by evil spirits, doctrines of devils, and commandments of men. How many have been deceived by science? Or deceived by sophistry? Or deceived by a college professor? Or something? And they've been deceived. Or how many times have we been deceived because we're just in the mood to be deceived? How many times have we been deceived ourselves by all of those things? What is sophistry? Sophistry is like a very logical... The, the sophists of, uh, of Greece were the ones that would go out um, and, and speak logic and, and flattering words. And it was really, not that we ever see this anymore, but uh, they speak flattering words for money. And they would go around and speak all the words that people would, would uh, one of these things I read in the article by, by uh, Hugh Nibble, talking about the rise of sophistry and the fall of everything else. Uh, people that would preach for money and get become great stars, and it was they were hypocrites. It was an act. They didn't really believe it, but they knew how to string words together. Yeah. One synonym could be politics. One synonym could be politics. That's right. And that, because in the old Greek thing, the sophistry was is that they would uphold them with money. They would get to know their personal lives. Everybody wanted to know everything about them. They became the rock stars and the pop stars of the era because they were fabulous speakers. Sophistry. Okay? It is the philosophies of men. So how many of us have been deceived by those? Okay? Watching, watching. Here comes, here comes prom. You know, and we start watching the, you know, here's the pictures. And how many of these, how many of the girls in our, in our church are struggling with how do I be modest and beautiful or I'm going to be deceived by the sophistries and the commandments of men. And just watch them weigh that balance. What a struggle that is between daughter and mom and what's the dress going to look like and all that stuff. Okay? But, here's the comforting doctrine. What is he saying? There are going to be people in our midst that are going to be deceived by what? The last line. But they will be reclaimed. There will come a day when they will no longer be deceived. Whether in this life or the next. And then they will have an ability to choose without that deceit going on. Is that comforting? Yeah. Really comforting. It is to me too. Okay. Okay. All right. So here's the here's our challenge. Those of you who have spiritual gifts, those of you who carry attributes of the Savior, have your particular piece of His personality and of His godliness. Verse 50, 11 through thirteen. Who's got that? Got that? Okay. Okay, now, I, I, you have to love this. Here's the statement. Think about it slowly being dictated to Joseph Smith. He says, okay, look, guys, listen up. 
Can we just reason as men together? Let me just present some facts, okay? All right, and listen to how he does this, okay? So let's three reason together. One man reasoneth with another. Now, with a man reasoneth, he is understood of a man, because he reasoneth as a man. Even so will I. Okay, so if this is the best way that you're going to understand, what he's saying to you is, let me talk to your language. Let me reason with you as one man reasoneth to another. I mean, I think people would be kind of amazed in my office to hear me go from talking from one client who is maybe middle-aged or something, and then I have a 16-year-old show up in my office, and it's like, hey, what's happening? <laughs> Man, are you kicking or what? I mean, it's like you have to, <laughs> wow. Or you're doing what? Get out. Are you really? Reason as one 16 year old to another. <laughs> it's not that bad. Okay, so let me read you the All right, let's keep going. Cool. Even so will I, the Lord, reason with you that you may understand. I'm going to reason with you. And now, so let's, he says basically, let's talk. Okay? We have a little dialogue here. I'm going to reason with you. And then this is what he does. Wherefore, I, the Lord, ask you this question. Okay, now, don't you love this? Okay, I'm going to, you're asking me a question. Let me ask you a question. Let, we're going to reason one man to another, okay? You're asking me what to do. Let me just ask you something, okay? And here, here it comes. Let's reason together. What were you ordained to do? 
given the spiritual gifts that you got, what's your job? What's your calling? Where do you go from here? You ever had, you ever had that experience coming back home from church and, and, and your lesson to the youth went... <laughs> or the primary, trying to teach primary like the day after Halloween? Because <laughs> they're all hopped up on sugar? Yeah, our, our, our relatingness to us says, okay, and that would be the question I've asked to all of you. What have you been ordained to do? What have you been specifically set apart at this moment in your life, of your experience, in this season, what have you been called to do? And I've got, you know, sometimes I've got mothers coming in and they've got kids all over the place. It's like, I'm not, I'm not feeling very spiritual these days. I know. In this season of your life, sometimes you're just trying to maintain all of this stuff. This may not be your moment to be writing massive church books. You know? Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just going to say that even applies for parenting, I guess, leaving with being ordained to be a mother or father. To an eight year old. To a 12-year-old, to a rebellious 13-year-old, to a non-speaking, non-communicative, grunting 15-year-old boy. What, what have you been called to do? Let me ask you. Try and somehow teach the gospel. Okay? I know that sometimes these guys, uh, I remember it was uh, Bill Cosby that talked about he had a brand new sports car. And he said, he got the sports car and he pulled up to a gas station and he looked all over and he could never find where the gas went in. He's looking all over, there's no place where the gas goes. So he said, the only thing I think to do is like pour gas over the whole thing and hope it's soaked in somewhere. <laughs> How many times with your kids do you feel like what you're trying to do sometimes is soak them in the gospel and hope it's somewhere seeped in at some point? Could it be that right now that's your calling? The gospel soaker. Okay. Now. Oh, we got 20 minutes. Okay, we can do this. Okay. Now, how are we going to do this? How do you not be deceived? How do you use your spiritual gifts? And how do you function in your, to what you have been ordained, called to, set apart, to this station, at this moment, in this season of your life. Okay? Now, I've told you before, especially that, that I just love, to me the key to, to understanding the scriptures is understanding symbols and understanding patterns. That the Lord does things always in pattern, over and over and over. If you get the pattern, you get the template, you can take it out of this scripture, you can put it on this one over here. You get that pattern, you can take it over here, but in this situation, it all fits. Get the pattern. Now, it isn't often, though, that the Lord is going to tell you, here comes a pattern, which is kind of comforting. Okay? I want you to... Um, let's follow along. Um, let me do it this way. Um, I, broke it, I, I rewrote this just a little bit because so, I wanted it to be a little bit more clear. 
let's have somebody go to section 52. And by the way, section 52 is really the same as 50. We're still dealing with what do we do with all of these weird spiritual goings on going on. Okay, so somebody's got section 52, and we're going to start in verse 14. And I'll, I'll track it up here. Who's got it? Okay, Laura. Now, how easy is this? You don't even have to think, is there a pattern here? The Lord says, here's my pattern. Okay, guys, let me reason one is one with another. Pattern, here it is. Okay, ready? Yeah. Now, by the way, look at, the, look at uh, I think it's down in 19. He's going to say, and this was the pattern. So he's going to bracket it. Okay? Between here and here. Here is the pattern. If you want to know how to not be deceived and how to how to do the thing you were ordained to do, okay? All right, let's go. That you may not be deceived. That you may, and we don't want to be deceived. So here it comes. For Satan is abroad in the land, and he goeth forth deceiving the nations. Now, by the way, let me clear this up. Sometimes people have tried to use this scripture to say that Satan is female. I think that's wrong. Just say. I have somebody. I'm not saying it anymore. I'm not saying it anymore. Okay, so, so, so let, let's keep going. It's an old joke, sorry. I'm, do you know what Brother Dickley said? Just saying. Okay, so let's, let's keep going now that I've completely ruined that. Okay, now here comes the pattern. Here's how to know, here's how to not be deceived. Okay? He who prayeth, whose spirit is contrite. Does that sound like the gratitude prayer we were talking about last week? As opposed to the desperation prayer. As opposed to the fearful prayer. As opposed to the demanding prayer. As opposed to the uh, pleading, cajoling. As opposed to the nagging prayer. He says, those who are going to pray, both those that are receiving it and those that are going to be preaching it, for both, those who pray whose spirit is contrite. Okay. Keep going. Okay. We're going to come back to that one. So here's the first one. If you're trying to know, if you're trying to hear something from somebody else, or you're trying to make sure that you're not being deceived. You start with the idea, do they pray and their prayers are contrite? Do I pray and my, and my prayers are contrite? In other words, my, our hearts are in the right place. Okay, then he's going to give us a second part. He that speaketh whose spirit is contrite, whose language is meek and edifying. Oh, okay. Here's another one. Those who are going to do this... <coughs> In a way whose spirit is contrite. You ever have contrite people? Don't you just kind of feel it? Whose spirit is contrite and. Can I, can I just add a disclaimer? I know what's going through your head right now. 
I know that you did lose it and yell at the kids. I get that part. Or that you have, or you've done it in the past, so have we all. How I lost patience. Five. The goal of what we're trying to do as we move forward here is we want to make sure that our spirit is contrived and that our speech and language is meet and edify. Okay? That's another way that you're going to know. In other words, fiery put-downs and things like that are not, are never that, That's just not how we All right, so there's another part of the pattern. Let's keep going. The same as of God if he obeyed my ordinances. Okay. And now there's the third one, because there's going to be three here. Here's the pattern. Pray, speech, and then their demeanor. Okay, and here's the third one. And again, he that trembleth under my power shall be made strong. Ah, what's, what does that mean? Trembleth under his power. Humble. Humble. They're humble. They're, you, get, you get the sense? They pray meekly. Their spirits are contrived. They speak contritely. And they tremble under his power. They're grateful. They're humble. Now, but he does add a disclaimer on the first two. Who does all of these things and what? And obey mine ordinances. So they're also going to come unto me and be baptized. And they're going to come unto me. And... and uh, do all of those kind of things. Um, I was in the temple on uh, uh, Saturday night with a uh, young man that was taken out of his temple endowments for the first time. And the whole thing with that is always, wow, this is different. And you just watch this humbleness at that point that goes, okay, I'm supposed to go here, and then I'm supposed to go here, and then I do this, and... Okay, and I'm supposed to say this, and you just kind of watch this. I'll just go where I'm supposed to go and say what I'm supposed to say. Because uh, there is that moment like this is just so kind of overwhelming, and he was certainly doing all of that. So, bless his heart. Um, if he obey mine ordinances, and then, then the Lord's going to keep going and say, okay, those who do all of those things, then what? Laura, what's the next part? Okay. No, that's good. Okay, so with this one then, going to be made strong and bring forth fruits of praise and wisdom. Thank you, Ray. So your job with the spirit of, with your spiritual gifts is that he says, now you're going to go out and you're going to do it with the spirit of the comforter. And, you're going to, and if you're filled with that spirit of the comforter, are you more likely to be contrite? Are you going to pray contritely? Is your speech contrite? Is your manner contrite? Yeah. And in fact, I think it's interesting that, I think it's in section 42 here where he's going to go, uh, yep. And he throws this in, by the way. Look at verse 33. Not with railing accusation. There is no room in gospel discussions with other people for angry interchange about principles of the gospel. None. 
If you end up having an angry discussion about the church, walk away. Whether it's you or them. Because nothing good is going to happen after that. Okay. I want to finish with one last part here. I want to do a comparison and contrast. Somebody, somebody got verse 12, section 52. Yeah. Okay, now, herein lies a great tale. Lionel White. Brother Lionel, uh, fierce defender of the church almost to a fault. Uh, Lyman uh, was a member of the Cornwall 12. Uh, Lyman was one who was tossed out. He, he originally went to Jackson County. Uh, was tossed out in, in, as part of the mobbings in 1833. He goes up to Far West. Uh, things start to happen again. Lyman White goes, that's enough. Lyman White's involved with those that begin to fight back. Um, Lyman White, in the, in the late stages of Nauvoo, when Joseph was so afraid that, this was gonna, that Far West was going to happen again, he began to send, he had plans about that we need to leave Nauvoo. He wanted Hiram to take uh, his immediate family and Joseph's family and go to Wisconsin, where they had been pulling some lumber down for some of their, their building come down to Mississippi. He wanted him to go there. Joseph was looking to go out west. He, he knew they were going to end up in the Rocky Mountains. He said, Lyman White, where? Texas. GTT. Go to Texas. Down to the Republic of Texas. They seem to be fair-minded down there. They seem to love freedom. Send him to Texas. So he comes down to Texas, and he's, he's down here in Texas. Lyman decides that he likes Texas a lot. You know, give him credit for that. <laughs> he's, he's, down, he's down south of San Antonio. Um, down south of Austin. Or Austin. I'm trying to remember what the name is. Zodiac? Is what? Zodiac. Zodiac. Yeah, he established the town of Zodiac. Um, and he's down here when Joseph is killed. Uh, and then Brigham says, we're on our way to uh, Great Salt Lake. Uh, Lyman says, uh, no, I'm smarter than you are. I'm going to stay here. I think I'm going to build my own little temple. He had some kind of small little temple and do an ordinance and stuff. And, and despite Brigham always asking Lyman to come back, um, he never would come and, and uh, die outside the church. But he would then get pulled into the reorganized church for a while. Uh, now, the term is interesting, though, because let's go back and read that again. Let's read that. And let my servant, my men, white, beware. Okay, now listen to the term that the Lord's going to use. For Satan desireth to sit him as Okay, now, this, this term... The sifting process. I've got time to do it. About this entire imagery uh, could fill a book of how the Lord uses this. But, but really, really quickly, let me just say that uh, uh, Old Jerusalem is called the city of David. 
Okay, it sits up on, on the rise, and then it has the oval shaped thing. That's the city of David. Um, the temple sat up there. Uh, what sits up on top of the city of David, up on top of Mount Moriah, right there, right there? The dome of the rock. May not the rock was. It's supposed to be where Abraham was. Where sacrifice Isaac. Okay. Melchizedek apparently had something up there in terms of the temple. Melchizedek, the Prince of Peace. We think it was probably Shem. Okay. But that dome of that rock that they were going to build everything on, when David wants to go up and build the temple up on top of there, the original place that he's going to build it is on that rock. Okay? And it was originally a threshing floor. It was the bottom of the place where you would uh, thresh wheat. Okay, now in those days, what would happen then? Again, if you think, of, think about the imagery, it's just so rich. Uh, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take wheat and, and, and at first it's going to grow, right? The wheat and the tares, we're going to let the wheat and the tares grow up together to the point where the, the field is white, all ready to harvest. But the tares are in the middle of all of that. So then we're going to cut down all of that together and we're going to take it to the threshing floor and then we're going to take the, the winnowing rake, and what are we going to do? Throw it up in the air. Okay? And the idea then is that the wheat, we're going we're gonna to sift you. Most of the time the scripture says you're gonna, we're going to sift you as wheat. If you're wheat and you're heavy because you are uh, wide and ready to harvest, what are you going to do? Fall back down. Okay? You're going to go right back down to where you came from. Okay, stop for a second. Think of the scattering and the gathering of Israel. You're going to be scattered up in the air, and then you're going to come down where? Back to where you started. Okay? The wheat will come back down to the original place. Now, what about the chaff? The tares. Now, how how does the again walk the imagery through? How does the how does the chaff not end up back down where it came from? The wind is blowing. So for this process to occur, it requires what? Wind. And the wind has to be blowing to and fro. It's going to blow you with every wind of doctrine, right? Okay. So the wheat will come right back down because it's heavier, it's meatier. It, it comes right back down. The chaff, the tares, if the wind is blowing west, it goes west. If the wind is blowing east, it goes east. And so what happens is, is that Satan desires to sift you as chaff. Meaning that when in all this process, if the wheat and the tares are growing together, is that Satan's moment? No, no they're growing, right? They're there. They're there. He's watching. When is his moment? We throw them up. That's the moment. We've been scattered. Now bring in the wind. Think of Satan as the wind. He's going to come through. He's blowing. This is his moment to get as much as he can get, as fast as he can get, and blow these guys out of there. Okay, and whichever which, which way the wind is blowing, 
then that's, that's the direction you're going to go. Whatever is the latest trend, whatever is the latest worldly view on things, we'll go there. We'll just get blown all over the place. Satan desires to do this to you. And you're going to get blown off course. Or times of trial is another time when we were now I was I was rooted. Now I've come along and, and we've had a death and we've lost our job or I've got kids that are struggling. At that moment, I've now been thrown up in the air. Now I'm being scattered. And that's Satan's moment to really increase the wind and he's blowing. And the question is at that moment, how heavy are you? How filled with, how full is your lamp? How much oil is in your lamp? What kind of gospel gravitas do you have? Spiritual power that you can come back down to where you landed in the midst of being of turmoil, if that's a word. Yes. for the winds to just come and move them if they don't have that 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 substance. Okay. Um, now, contrast this. So here's Lyman White. I want to contrast this with W.W. Phelps. Somebody find section 55, 3 through 5. Let, let me just say, there is a story to W.W. Phelps. I'm not going to tell it uh, today. Uh, there is an incredible story to W.W. Phelps. And we're going to talk about that more about that moment uh, at, at uh, the prophet's funeral and what role W.W. Phelps played in that. But, okay, somebody got uh, three through five. Okay? And on whosoever you shall lay your hands, if they are contrived for me, you shall have power to give the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he's given this to W.W. Phelps, who, by the way, wrote, mm -hmm. say, no, Spirit of God, like a fire is burning, okay, that was second temple dedication, and praise to the man. Okay, well, that was second funeral. We talked about that. Okay, so. And again, you shall be ordained to assist my servant, all of Calvary, to do the work of printing and of selecting and writing books for schools in this church, that little children also may receive instruction before me. Oh, isn't that cool? So he's doing children's, children's books for the kids and everything. Then listen to this next phrase, specifically to Wilford Woodruff, or to, to W.W. Phelps, but boy, I think this applies to so many of us. And again, verily I say to you, for this cause you shall take your journey with my servant, and be, listen close, and that you may be planted in the land of your inheritance to do this work. Oh, isn't that great? So, here's my question to all of us. And let me just finish with this. My question is, is that if we are, if we have been sifted, but we come back down to where we are, and now we're ready to harvest. That's the moment when you're ready to be planted. 
And if you're planted, you can put down roots, and then it doesn't matter how wet, how hard the wind blows. It can blow like crazy. You're planted. You're not going anywhere. You're going into an oak. You're actually going into the tree of life. Because the planting actually takes place in your own heart. But, but my question to you today, to, to, as we walk away, is in this sifting process, are you still being sifted? Or are you putting yourself in a place where it's now time to be planted, to put down roots? Am I likely to be moved by every wind of doctrine? Or am I planted? And I planted in firm gospel sod where nothing is going to move. I bear you my testimony that each of us have been ordained, set apart, endowed with part of Him to not let us know who He is, to gain an aspect of His nature, and to repeat it because that's where we come to know Him, and to bless the lives of others. As the more we do that, the more we're planted. And when, whenever sifting may occur in our life, we have enough heaviness to return to where we came from and we cannot be moved. So stand in holy places and don't let that sit in the And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Let's see.